I want to say uh, today's passage is a tough one. Uh, it's a tough one to read. Um, also, if you're new or haven't been for a while, today we are going to be talking about sin and about uh, forgiveness. Um, just so you know, we don't do that every single week. Uh, and uh, if especially today you're like, oh, it feels like he was thinking about me when he wrote it, I promise you I wasn't. Uh, I'm not thinking about anyone in particular. Uh, just maybe accept that as maybe a bit of a challenge and something you want to think about. Uh, but last week, just to, to set this, well, this is even worse. Daniel, thank you. Uh, last week, we talked about how far God had moved David. There was a bit last week where David was just become king. And he was like, my goodness, God, you've taken me far. You've taken me from this little shepherd boy in a field to now being king. And I was saying, like in the Garden of Eden, God does all this stuff first. And then invites into relationship. Before we take a breath, God forgives us. He adopts us, which means he brings us into his family. He redeems us. That means he pays a price to set us free. He calls us friends. He gives us a new family name. He basically says that we are co-heirs with Christ. The bit that has blown my mind this week is as a believer, when God looks at me, he looks at me with the same love he has for Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. Like, as a believer, when God looks at me, he loves me with the same love that he has for Jesus. I've, I've taken so long in my Christian life thinking there's Jesus and then there's me. Like, that is mind-blowing. That when he looks at me, he sees me, but he loves me with the same love he has for Jesus who is perfect in every way. He, he gives me a new family name. He makes me righteous before him. Uh, he gives me a future. He says, all things are yours. In Hebrews, it says, the entire universe is Christ and through Christ ours, that these, this is the, the place he puts us, that he, he's going to let us reign with him, uh, that, that, that we've given this new family the church to be part of, that the spirit is with us as a helper, and that he's going to turn us more and more into God's stuff. That was last week. That's amazing. I promise you, no power tool will do that for you. Uh, those of you who are like, this power tool will make me happy, it might come close, but it won't. No relationship on earth will come close to this. No job, no thing you can do will come close to this. Like the, the challenge is, is that God has done all of this and he's done all of this with David. But today we're going to see how far David falls. David is a moment where he goes, my goodness, God, you've done this for me. And then we see what happens next. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, this passage. Daniel, thank you very much. Uh, and the title today is hashtag me too. Uh, raise your hand if you've heard this hashtag. Uh, I won't get you to raise your hand, but if you go in your head going, oh, woke, you're wrong. Uh, this was a really important part where Hollywood and the wider world, where women spoke up against injustices that they'd experienced and hadn't been protected in. Um, and this passage, first and foremost, is an example where women who in those days had very little power are abused and treated as property by men. I want to say that at the outset. Um, it, it's a sad part of God's story. And we'll talk a bit about David's day, but first and foremost, this should be the story of Bathsheba and David's dominance over her. At various points through history, people have gone, yes, well, Bathsheba came and saw the king. She had no choice. He's the king. The king demands that she comes to the house. It's not that she was like, oh, yeah, I see you too, David. Hello. Like, that's not how it worked. Okay, so I want to say that. But we're going to think about me too as well, because David is going to struggle to see in himself Stuff that you can see in other people. We'll find that a bit later on. But let's, let's have a little look. Um, before that, just really quickly, um, does anyone remember way back in our series, there was a bit where God's people were like, God, we want a king. God, we want a king. All right? One Samuel 8. 
God wanted a king. And God said, if you have a king, this is what he's going to do. You can peek if you like, but does anyone remember some of the bad things that God said a king would do? Nicholas at the back. He's going to make your young men run to, before his chariots. That's a great start. So he's going to basically send your men to war uh, and not do that himself. Anything else? Anyone else? Do you remember some of the things? I know it's a long, long time ago, 1 Samuel 8. You can look as well if you want to cheat. It's like one of those exams where you've got the test in front of you. If so he'll take the best of your stuff and give it to his people. Yeah, any more? Any more? Thank you very much. Keep going. Have a little peek. This is more fun when we join in, trust me. Uh, Nicholas! You were going to say that one. Yeah, I bet you were. Bet you were. Uh, any others? Yeah, he'll take, he'll take your daughters, take your people, right? I want you to bear that in mind. Uh, it's really, really important. Uh, there's a bit in our later passage where God refers to this uh, and also refers to us. So, so God has said, what kings are you going to do? Is he going to take your sons, put them into battle in their place? They're going to take your daughters and use them. Yeah? That's what God says. And this is what happens. So let's have a look at our passage, 2 Samuel 11. Okay, just have a little read. Um, so next one, here we go. 2 Samuel 11, and the first question is going to be, how many chances did David have to stop 2 Samuel 11 verses 1 to 5? Okay, let me just read that for you. Here we go. In the spring, at the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman washing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. I uh, just want to point out one thing. She was doing exactly what the law required. David wasn't, which is even more stark. Here's a righteous woman. And David. But really quickly, have a little chat. How many chances did David have? And, and I guess this is the hashtag creepy. Me too is a lot about creepy men uh, and creepy people. Uh, David creeps towards sin. I'm going to say to you guys that we often creep towards it ourselves. Yeah, uh, in a creepy way. Just have a little chat. How many chances did he have to do the right thing to stop? Have a little chat. Have a little chat. Have a little chat. Okay. Okay. How many, how many choices did he have to stop? How many chances did he have to stop? How many? Any advance on five? We've got five. Do I hit six? Do I hit six? Do I hit six? Seven. Seven, seven, seven. Seven, seven, seven. Any advance on seven? Seven, seven. Or is that a joke or is that possibly seven? You think seven? Any advance on seven? Any advance on seven? A hundred. Ah, uh, Sean, often just wisdom spoke. He had, he had 100 chances, he could have stopped. But seven, seven places where he could have stopped. Okay, uh, do you want to give us your seven? Should have gone off to war. If he'd been at war, would he have done it? No, should he have gone to war? Yeah, he's a king. That's what kings do. Okay, next one. So it's interesting. Now, now, the question might be, men in the room especially, do you think he might have spotted the bath on a previous walk? 
Right, come on, man. Don't be shy. Do you think, knowing men, as we do, might he have spotted the bath before? Raise your hand if you think yes. Wait, wait, women, I'm coming to you in a minute. I'm coming to you in a minute. Men, men in the church, you think he might have done. Women, do you think that the man spotted the bath on a previous walk? Raise your hand. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But possibly. So he's walking around, okay? Sees her bathing. Saw her washing. What could he have done? Yeah. Now, some of the men are going, no, he can't. He can. You know why. <laughs> he noticed it was beautiful. Could have looked away. So it implies possibly that he looked and then had a second look. Or it looked, looked for too long. Okay, interesting. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, he, it's like tweeting or like I'm going to slide into her DMs. That's a modern thing. I'm going to send a little message across. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. And they say what? And what could he have done? Left it because she's married, because she has a name, because she's no longer just an object, she's now a person. Yep. Purifying herself, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that just, some of you are going, what was that about? So in those days, and I, I personally think partly because of difficult sanitary conditions, um, partly because of hygiene being harder, uh, but also because of power imbalances. Uh, women, when they're on their time of the month, uh, were not allowed into the temple. The idea was that sort of bodily fluids and blood and things were considered unclean. And so this would have been bathing after that. Um, so it would be essentially she's come through that and now is, is seeking to come back into the temple. Um, yeah, there you go. You got a lay minister next, yeah? Yeah, yeah, nice. Now you're doing well. Okay. So, five messages. Anything else? What, what does he do then? Yeah. So, he's made a plan. Go and get her. What else could he have done then? Stopped. Uh, and then, then what else? Slept with her. What could he have done? Not. <laughs> no. No. Um, why have I done it like this? I, I want to say in my life, there have been times where I have creeped into sin. Where the first few steps felt worth it. Because the problem with sin, isn't it? That, that sin at first tastes good. Sin at, at first feels good. The early stages of sin, it gives you something. Comfort, power, position. The, the problem is that the, the deeper you go, the cost becomes even greater. I've found in my own head at points going, it's just a look, it's just a word, it's just a meeting, it's just a movie, it's just a, a thought that I'm entertaining, it's just a conversation I'm having, it's just a bit of time, that creep, yeah? Hashtag creepy. Uh, I want to kind of say to you guys, in terms of some of you, my warning today is that you know you're two or three steps along. And that's dangerous. I want to say that often it's not just a single jump in. I think it's partly why when Jesus talks about sin, when he says things like, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at someone lustfully in your heart, it's the same. I think it's because he knows the danger of this early stuff. I think it's because he knows 
that, that one leads to the other. I want to encourage us in all kinds of ways, not just with sexual sin, but stuff that just gradually pulls us from God, pulls us from experiencing God, just gradually habits that form. Um, the care for the family guy, Rob Parsons says, the other thing about affairs often is that the early bit, there's a cost that you're willing to pay. So like early on, if you're chatting to someone, it's just taking you away from your family a little bit, but maybe that's okay because your family are irritating or annoying. And then the more you meet up with that person, the more your mind at home is, is somewhere else and you, you feel a bit more distant, but maybe that's a cost you're willing to pay. And then maybe when you have those sort of meetups with them, there's a financial cost, but also suddenly you have to keep loads of secrets and that's stressful, but that's a cost maybe you're willing to pay. But there's a point always where you suddenly go, this is a cost that I'm not willing to pay, but you're there. And I want to challenge us that, that this is a pattern for how to not go there. Does that make sense? Um, David has so many chances to stop. Uh, the Bible says when we're tempted, there will be a way out. And the Bible says if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Um, does that make sense? You're with it? Creepy. Cool. Next one. Uh, the second part of the Me Too movement was it turns out that a lot of people were quite happy to cover up for each other. And the reason it sprung up was because people said these people have been covering up so let's have a look at what happens next. This is a brutal story of what happens next. Verse 6 says this, David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Now, this is my favorite bit about the Bible. Wash your feet does not mean wash your feet. Uh, it doesn't mean that. Uh, kids, feel free to ask your parents later what they think it means. Um, uh, it means get jiggy with it. Um, so uh, that's what it means. Uh, go and wash your feet. And he says this, go and do that. Why is he doing that? Why? Why is he sending Uriah back to Bathsheba? Because she's pregnant. And what's he hoping? It makes it look like Uriah, just in case you're not with it. He's like, oh, she's pregnant. I can fix this. Come home, Uriah. Go and see your wife, okay? Uriah says this, okay? Uh, Uriah left the palace, verse 8, uh, and a gift from the king was sent after him, probably alcohol or something to get him in the mood. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, this is brutal. The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I would not do such a thing. What type of man is Uriah? A good man. A good man. It makes it more heartbreaking. It's there for a reason. It tells you this is not just a random faceless person, someone loved by God, someone faithful. It's, it's heartbreaking. David says to him, stay here one more day. Tomorrow I'll send you back. Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. What kind of man is Uriah? A good man. What kind of man is David at this point? I mean, it's brutal, isn't it? It's brutal. He then covers it up more. Um, he sends Uriah to the front um, and says this. Uh, in the morning, verse 14, David wrote a letter to Job, uh, Joab, sent it to Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he'll be struck down and die. 
So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew where the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. It's awful. Awful. Just covering it up. And I guess one of the challenges I want to try and give us is that the problem with sin in our life is when we start covering it up, it begins to just bleed out. Like, like it spreads. It causes us to do other things. When we're comfortable with small stuff, we might become more comfortable with bigger stuff. Does that make sense? Like, like I, I, I want us to, to take sin seriously as a church. Um, any, any sermon on sin that makes you feel awful and far from God is not a good sermon. And that's the test. If you go away from here afterwards feeling awful and far from God, we're going to get to some really important bits. But the way to not make you feel awful and far from God is not to say it's not a big thing. It is a big thing. It is a big thing. Take it seriously. Don't be too quick to go, yeah, this is fine. This is okay. Like, take it seriously. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you went downstairs for breakfast and you found a tiger in your kitchen, how many of you would wait a couple of days before you call animal control? Some of you are going, yeah, I probably would, actually. Some of you are going, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it. <laughs> I'd send my husband down to clean the kitchen. Maybe he'll find it. Like, um, uh, that's just me and Claire. Um, the idea of, of sin is, sin is some, something that both robs you of joy. It robs you of closeness with God. It, it, it robs the image of God in you. Okay, we talk about sin sometimes as if if the only problem is that it separates you from God. That's a huge problem. But but sin is death in all its ways. Like, we need to take it seriously. We we need to take it seriously in our own lives and not just cover up. Uh, This this bit is, an ostrich only thinks he covers up. Hidden mistakes cost lies. Uh, Yes. Don't hide it. Don't hide it, be honest. Be, Be open. Okay, let's go. Next one, really quickly. Um, lastly, uh, corruption. Uh, as I just said, uh, Joab, uh, verse 18, uh, sends a full account. Uh, messengers go back and they basically write this story of the battle, telling Joab not to be too sad. Um, part of the Me Too movement was about the fact that there were systems and structures that they were part of. I want to say this just really quickly. When I talk, do sermons about sin, we're not just talking about personal sin. We are part of systems and structures in the UK that contribute to harm for others. It's interesting, isn't it? It's in the news at the moment. Match of the day last night was weird compared to normal. Uh, although part of me is quite liking it in 20 minutes. It's like, good, just the goals. Um, but, but there's a conversation where Gary Lineker put a tweet out saying, not happy with the way the government's doing its policy and, and referenced some of the language used before the war in Germany. Um, and as a result of that, has been removed from position. But we are part of systems and structures. And I guess when we talk about confession, it's not just about us. We want to think about the world we're in. And like when Liz puts our tips out, think about justice and stuff. When we talk about confession, it needs to be bigger than just what we're doing. It needs to be the, 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 the part of the world we're in. We're blessed where we live, but it's easy to be in systems and structures. Also, bluntly, some of us create systems and structures around us that enable us to continue in sin. David has got to a point now where if he wants to, he can do this again. This is a foolproof plan for him. I could do this again. Send someone else to the front. Oh, Joab, don't worry, it wasn't your fault. I think some of us have been doing some stuff for so long, attitudes of the heart, things that are far from God, where we've created for ourselves structures that enable us to stay there. Does that make sense? It's like we've surrounded ourselves with things that are going to hold us there. 
It's like, actually, I'm just comfortable here. I'm just comfortable here. I'm comfortable living far from God. And I've got people that enable that. I've got friends that might enable me in that. Family. I've got attitudes in my mind that enable me to say, I know this isn't right, God, but... Does that make sense? I think we, we, we've done that a little bit. So this is the bad news. What do we do? Okay, uh, Daniel, here we go. This is coming to an end now. And then we're going to give an opportunity to pray. Uh, on the underground at the moment, you might see signs. Yeah? Have, you, have any of you seen these signs on the underground? Okay? See it, say it, and then sort it. I, I, I sort it, but I've changed it because I love a pun. Okay? Uh, for us believers and for those of you who are thinking about what does God do, we're going to see it, see sin. We're going to say it. Well, we'll look at what David says in a minute. Okay? Uh, and then we're going to uh, have it sorted. We're going to look at that uh, really quickly. If you can just uh, turn over to chapter 12, uh, that would be great. Uh, please, so 2 Samuel, uh, just to the next chapter. Uh, I just want to read um, 2 Samuel 11, verse 26. says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Notice who's the active partner in that language. Uh, but the thing David had done is displease the Lord. Ready? So this is towards the end. Okay. David, though, thinks, woohoo, scot-free and a bonus wife. That, that's literally what he thinks. Yeah. Uh, first, uh, chapter 12 says this. Uh, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had brought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arm. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came uh, to a rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then this is the, I love this bit. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arm. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, David, I would have given you even more. This is what we talked about last week, how far God has moved us. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with your sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Uh, really quickly, first things, a couple of practical things. It's really helpful having a friend who will call you out for stuff they need to call you out for. Practically. Nathan's a prophet. Uh, in terms of doing faith well, I really encourage you to have a mate you meet up with regularly and say, can we have an honest relationship? It's really helpful. Secondly, it's easier, isn't it, to see the sin in other people and not in ourselves. Do you see how quickly David's like, how dare that guy? Like, and I guess I want to challenge us as a church, especially in some of the conversations we're having at the moment around faith and sexuality. But more than that, just as a church, it's so much easier to jump on other people's sins and mistakes and not see our own. Uh, Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye so that you can attend to the splinter in someone else's. 
uh, I want to encourage you to do both. Both are important. But um, lastly, seeing it's really important. Today, I want to encourage you, if you feel challenged in any way, there is stuff in life that's holding you back. See it. See it. Say, God, it's been holding me to that too long. Okay? Secondly, say it. Say it. Um, verse 13 uh, says this. Okay? Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. I'll read that one more time. Just one line. Seems unfair, doesn't it? Seems unfair. David goes, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. How many of you think that seems unfair? After all he's done. You're right, it is unfair. It is unfair. Think of the destruction that he caused. Think of the stuff that he ravaged. Think of the, the, the kind of awfulness of all that he did. Um, it is unfair. And yet, grace is unfair. It will always feel unfair to us. The fact that God can do that. It, it should feel unfair. The minute we feel like we've earned God's forgiveness or have done something to make God's forgiveness happen, it's not grace. I need you to realize that. If you change your behavior thinking that's what's going to get God to forgive me, that's not what grace is. Grace is unfair. But there's a cost to, to grace. And this is where we get to the brutal bit. Just listen to this. And we're coming to a finish now. Verse 14. Uh, but because of doing this, you've shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. How many of you think that's unfair? It's unfair. It's not the baby's fault, is it? boy's innocent it's unfair it's, it's a cost that seems too much and we want to be slightly careful this is an example of curse it's the curse of sin that the, the the fact that the forgiveness of sin is there but the consequence of sin remains some people who have sinned and felt forgiven or at least known forgiveness still experience the feelings of it you know if i am horrible to my wife claire I might say to her, darling, I'm sorry, but the next day, I can't expect her to be sweetness and light with me. That the sort of end consequence of sin might be dealt with, but the experience of it lingers, yeah? That's the way it goes. This is an example of the curse, but might this also be a foreshadowing of what it takes for forgiveness to come? The death of an innocent. The death of a son. Might this be a foreshadow, possibly, of the fact that for God to forgive, there is a cost. And that it does seem unfair that it falls on David, but then how much more unfair when it falls on God himself? That when we say to God, God, I'm sorry, God goes, I forgive you, and I've paid the cost as well. Jesus has come. Now I can tell I haven't quite given you the good news. Some of you are going, you said a sermon on sin that leaves me feeling awful is not a good sermon on sin. I love that this gives me hope. Because David has done what is truly, truly awful in every single way. And yet God still loves him. God still accepts him. It fundamentally changes David. I love that God calls David a man after his own heart, not because of what David does, but because of who David knows God is. God is his savior. God is his fortress. God is his refuge. God is his loving father. God is the one who is able. 
What I love about David is that David recognizes his weakness, but doesn't just like go, I'm so awful, I'm so awful. He goes, my God, you are amazing. Because for every point I fail, you don't. Every test I fail, you don't. Every time I'm unfaithful, you are faithful. I encourage you people. If you are someone burdened by brokenness and actions that you've done or actions that others have done to you, the only place of true healing is a God who has taken that stuff to the cross and nailed it there and said, I was bigger than that. Jesus, who was tempted at every turn, was bigger than that. There is no forgiveness other than that which is in God, which is full and true. I want to encourage you that that is open to anyone. I want to encourage you too, if you're somebody who goes, well, I'm not really in that bad at all, which is fine, that just know this is a God who is faithful and that if and when you do, he's there. But take it seriously. I love, see it. Say it, God, it's against you that I've sinned. You called me to be in loving relationship with you and, and I've affected others in a way that affects my relationship with you. Say it and then know it's sorted. My last bit of good news is I meet too many Christians who do the first two, see it, say it, and they walk around with it stuck on their chest. I did this. I did this. I'm awful. I'm broken. And they're limping along. And God says, it is finished. It's been forgiven. It's been done. Walk free, walk free.